I was telling first service, it seems like every time I teach these days, it snows. So I'll stop for your sake, right? Well, um, as Melissa said, I, I too just want to say um, thanks for being here today. And uh, it really is, it's, it's just a privilege, isn't it? Just to be able to worship together in song and, and then to be able to open up God's Word together. So um, welcome. If you are a guest here, thanks so much uh, for coming. And I'm uh, just praying you have a great experience here this morning. Today we're going to be beginning a, a new series uh, together, a three-part series called God Will Provide. And uh, this series will take us through Good Friday and then it'll culminate on Easter Sunday. This series really, it flows out of um, a series that we just finished, an eight-week series uh, that we recently finished on the life of Abraham. And uh, we saw in the last week of that series that Abraham was tested. He faced the greatest test of faith that Abraham would ever face. And, and as his faith was tested, we saw in the scriptures that God ultimately provided for him. He was tested to sacrifice his son, Isaac, the son of the promise, and then um, the Lord provided though a ram in the place of Isaac. And we see and then in Genesis chapter 22, we saw verse 14, it says, So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, or Jehovah Jireh, you could say it like that. And how we um, looked at that was, not only was that an amazing event in that particular time, but what happened in Genesis chapter 22 was really a foreshadowing, a greater provision that God would one day make in the li through the life of Jesus Christ. And so in our new series now, we're called God Will Provide, we're going to take a close look at that provision that God the Father made through his son Jesus Christ. A provision that deeply impacts each and every person here in the room this morning. You know, you might be here today and you would say, um, you're a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. You're following him. You feel like your, your faith is fresh and alive. Or maybe today you would say, you know, you're here and, and frankly, you've got questions about who Jesus is. And um, I'm so glad that you're here. Or maybe today you would say, you're in a spot where you'd say you're a follower of Christ, but your faith needs to be rejuvenated a little bit. You need it to, to, to God just to kind of whisper into your ear this morning and to uh, encourage your faith. My prayer for this morning is that you would leave here today with a very fresh picture of who Jesus is and that that would really cause you and, and it would cause myself to worship him maybe in a way that we never have before. And I believe that if we leave here with a correct picture of who Jesus truly is according to the scriptures, I believe that God will answer that prayer and that our hearts will be taken to a good place. As you know, as Rob has mentioned, <clears throat> today is traditionally known in the, in the church as Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday marks the beginning of Passion Week, the week leading up to Easter, the week that would change history forever. Before we get to our text, though, in the Old Testament um, book of Isaiah, what I want to do is I want to look at that event that happened on Palm Sunday. I want to look at what happened in the life of Jesus Christ from Luke chapter 19. Um, so I'm going to read that passage to you from of what happened on Palm Sunday. Know this, by the time that Palm Sunday rolled around, Jesus Christ had been doing ministry already for about three and a half years. Many people found his teaching to be very restorative. And so there was a large gathering that had um, begun to follow him. The book of Mark says that word about him spread quickly. So there were crowds following him. Let me read this to you. This is Luke chapter 19, verse 37. It says, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Think about this. On that significant day, on that so significant entrance into the city of Jerusalem, the response of Jesus was to talk about what would ultimately bring these people something as simple as peace. Let me ask you a question. Would you say that your life is marked by a sense of peace? Would that be something you'd say that describes my life, the word peace? When you think about the highs and when you think about the lows of life, would you say that kind of through all of them, because we all have the highs and the lows, would you say, though, that there's a kind of a guiding sense of peace? While things might get rough, you still feel like you're anchored. When things get hard, you still feel like, okay, there's some security here. When things get hard, you still feel like, okay, things are going to be okay. It's maybe the student that goes into an exam, and, and they might be a little stressed out before the exam, that's normal, but... But after they take it, and as they're waiting for the score to come back, they have peace because they know they're not defined by the score that they get. So they're going to be okay regardless. Or it's the person who goes to a job interview, and they might really need a job. You might be in that spot today. And you go to that job interview, though, and you say, okay, I really need this. I'm really praying that I get it. But if I don't, it's going to be all right. I'm going to have peace. There's something that's more important I'm not defined by this job. I'm not defined by my performance. I'm not defined by my income. I'm defined by who I am in, in Christ. And that gives me peace. But too often people will say things like this, I'm barely hanging on. Or people will say, I, I'm just getting by. I don't have peace. Sadly to say, so many live with a sense, with no sense of lasting peace. But thank goodness, this was the very thing that Jesus talked about. This was the thing that when he looked over this crowd of people, he longed for them like he would long for us today. He longed for them to have peace. As Jesus was worshipped in Luke 19, he wept at the sight of the crowd, knowing that most of them might not experience the kind of peace that he was referring to. And it caused him inside and outside to weep. Yet the reason why people bowed down to him in worship was because these people, as Rob said, they had some knowledge of who he was. They had some knowledge, whether it was large or whether it was small, that he was the promised one, that he could accomplish something on their behalf. And so they worshiped him. Mark chapter 11 records that they took off their cloaks and they laid them down. Imagine taking off your coat, laying it in the street. They took their palm branches, they laid them down, and when he came their way, they cried out, Hosanna, save now. Bring us peace. Hosanna, save now. Lead us, Lord, to a new place. Lord, lead us to a new way of life. And with that promise, what they were clinging to, they worshiped him. Our main text this morning is Isaiah 53, and it's going to give us a description of Jesus Christ that I believe is going to cause us to have a Palm Sunday moment, a moment where we just 
Worship God for who he is. This passage lays out very clearly how Jesus Christ offers us lasting peace with God. Yet with no lack of clarity, this passage spells out the high cost that it took Jesus Christ to get us to the place where we could find peace. My goal for this morning is that you and I would leave here today and we would see Jesus for who he is. My goal is that we would see ourselves more clearly. And then with great reason, we would end with worship. And we would worship Jesus. We would have a Palm Sunday moment. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, they worshiped him. I believe this picture that we're going to get is going to cause our hearts to do the exact same thing. I do want to warn you about this, though. I have found this text to be very sobering. I was talking to Christina this week, and I was like, wow, this text is hard-hitting. But what it does is this. It gives you a huge picture of the magnitude of the love of God. So here's what I want to do just to prepare us. Would you just pray with me before we go into this text? And let's just say to the Lord, Jesus, I'm open to you. And Jesus, I'm asking you, because I know you'll answer a prayer like this. Would you speak to me this morning? So would you pray with me and and then we'll begin. Lord, I thank you um, for this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the text that we're going to read today. And Lord, I want to pray, Lord, for the person that comes here today and says, you know what, I want my faith to be rejuvenated. God, I pray, Lord, that you pour the gasoline on my faith and you would just do something huge. Lord, I pray for the person who's here today and the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to make sense to them today. Lord, I pray that their heart would be soft and that they would accept you. And Lord, I pray for the believer that's passionately following you today, Lord, might you cause us to worship you for who you are. So, Lord, we say to you right now in these moments, we just say, Lord, we're open to you. Would you maybe even say that to the Lord right now on your own? Just say, Lord, I'm open to you. Lord, I thank you that you answer prayers like that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, let me begin with some context for you. Isaiah chapter 53, where we're going in the Old Testament, is the heart, that chapter 53, is the heart of the book of Isaiah. This passage is one of the most famous, if not the most famous passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. The book of Isaiah is comprised of 66 books. It's the largest prophetic book in your Bible. Now imagine for a second that you found a letter that was written to you. But that letter you found out as you read through it, it, at the top it was dated the year 1313, 700 years previous, that letter had been written to you. But the things that it was talking about, it was describing your past, it was talking about you, and it was doing so with such clarity that as you kept reading about your future, you surely believed what it was saying about you because what it said about your past was so incredibly clear. Imagine that. Isaiah 53 is a detailed snapshot. You could think of it like this. Isaiah 53 is a detailed snapshot of an event that would take place 700 years later. So if this is the cross of Jesus Christ, Isaiah 53 gets written in the year 700 B.C. Now there's even significance in the name Isaiah. The name Isaiah means the Lord saves. It's huge. I mean, think about the significance of the events that are talked about in Isaiah 53 would come to fruition with great clarity and great accuracy 
700 years later. We're gonna do something this morning that's a little bit different. This text gives us such a clear picture of Jesus Christ. It's one of the most articulate pictures of him that we get in all of the scriptures of what Jesus did for you and I on the cross. And so what I want us to do here in a minute is I'm just gonna ask us to stand up as I read this and I want us to do this for two reasons. One, just out of respect for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ based on what we'll read. But two, even as an act of worship as we enter into this text. So now would you stand with me and and I'm going to read through this text. This is 15 verses long. I'm going to start in verse 13 of chapter 52, this section. It says, see my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told they will see and what they have not heard they will understand. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He has a He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished." He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his land. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You may be seated. In the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 8, we see a very exciting event happening. The gospel of Jesus Christ is spreading and literally at that time in Acts chapter 8, thousands upon thousands of people are coming to know Jesus Christ. And in the midst of that event, God prompts a man named Philip to approach another guy. This guy is known as the Ethiopian eunuch. 
And he, Philip is prompted by God to go up to this man. And so he runs up to this guy. He's in a chariot. This Ethiopian eunuch is in a chariot. And he goes up to him and he says, he hears him reading. Philip hears him reading and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replies. And, and this man is reading the same text that we were just reading. And the man replies, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And then he asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet, meaning who is Isaiah, who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or someone else? And then explaining this very passage of scripture, the light bulb goes on. And Philip tells this man, using this passage of Scripture, he says, this is about Jesus Christ. And so Philip tells him about Jesus Christ, and in that moment, that man says, okay, the gospel is clear to me now. And he puts his faith in Jesus Christ. And we know that that's a deal because as they're cruising along in the chariot, they pass by some water, and the man says, hey, there's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And this man walked away that day with from this passage of scripture that we're about to dive into with a sense of peace like he had never had before. This man began a relationship with Christ. This man understood for the first time who Jesus was and what that meant for his life. Let's dive into this text. Know this, at the time in which Isaiah 53 is being written, these people are in a state of exile. They've been pushed out of their land because of the sin that they've been committing. Yet the Lord has just said to them in Isaiah 52 verse 3, the Lord has said, I'm going to redeem you. You're going to be redeemed. Their king, King Cyrus, would be used by God to bring the people back into their homeland. But there was still a, a deeper problem, the, the problem of their sin, their idolatry that got them in trouble in the first place. And so while King Cyrus would be able to help them on the geographical front, getting them back into their land, they still had a much greater issue, the issue of their sin. An issue that only God could take care of himself. Only God could bring these people, not just to their land, which would be good, that would be a slice of redemption, but God would redeem them in a much, much greater way. And in this chapter, we get a picture. There is a picture on display of a king. A king that's unlike King Cyrus. A king that's unlike King David. This was God's anointed king through whom all things would change forever. To understand this chapter, I think it's important too to understand how it was written. This was written as a poem and, and more specifically it's referred to as a literary chiasm, which, which simply means this. It means the part in the middle is the most important and so there's, there's things leading up to the middle and there's, there's things after the middle of this particular poem, this particular passage. But what's in the middle, what's at the beginning and what's at the end, it only highlights and brings attention to what's taking place in the middle. You could think of it like this. The middle is, is really, it's like a crescendo moment. So imagine this is Isaiah 53. Start in Isaiah 52 over here and we're cruising along. We get into this passage. When we get to verse 4 through 6, this passage takes off. And then it over here highlights what's over here. Over here highlights what's over here. Verses 4 through 6. And the message that you can't miss, the main point of this text, of the meat of this text is this. It's how we can have peace with God. Imagine we're out for uh, a burger. And we're at a good restaurant, and, 
And the burger comes. Tell me this. What's more important, the bun or the meat? You're unsure. Uh, You're carb lovers or something, right? The bun or the meat? The meat, right? What's in the middle? Well, think of it like this. Tonight, um, Creighton playing Duke, right? And uh, let's imagine that at the end of the game, Creighton is only down by one point. I believe in a very big God, right? And, and Creighton is only down by one point. And, and what happens is this. At the very end of the game, McDermott gets the ball, and he shoots the ball, and it goes through the air, and the crowd is silent, and then he makes it. They win, and the crowd goes nuts, and then the game ends. It's a crescendo moment, right? When we get to Isaiah verses 4 through 6, you can't miss it. It's all about how you can have peace with God. Let's look at the meat of this text. Here it is, verse 4. It says, surely he, now and imagine again, imagine Philip talking to this Ethiopian and, and he's talking about Jesus. Imagine he, Jesus, took up, uh, so, he, so he took up our pain, our infirmities, and he bore our sufferings. Yet we considered him, Jesus, punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. Verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Verse 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I don't know of a clearer presentation of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ than what we find in these three verses. If there's a passage of scripture that you would say, wow, just tell me what's one one place maybe that I should make sure I really understand what, what the Lord is saying, I would point to this passage. I would say, wow, don't miss what the Lord is saying in in those verses right there. But beyond that, don't just think, okay, I want to understand that, and you might just go, yeah, I do. But really, even this morning, particularly say, I want to engage with this text at a heart level because it goes to a heart level. It's profound what's happening here. You might have asked yourself the question at some point in your life. Maybe you're watching The Passion of the Christ years ago and you're watching just the, the beating of Jesus and you're going, why did Jesus have to go through that? I mean, why did Jesus have to endure the cross? Wasn't there another way? Verse 5 is the answer to that question. It says, for our transgressions, for our iniquities. And and since he did know this, our transgressions, our sins have been paid for in full. (laughs) Well, great news. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says this. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Anyone in here ever feel ungodly? You and I don't need to pay for our sin. We can't. We can't. But Jesus did. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God, what does he do? He demonstrates, or you could say, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still doing wrong, before we got our act together, it says he died for us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, Christ died for our sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Imagine this picture. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring the unrighteous to God. 1 Peter 2, verse 24, it says, he himself, what did he do? It says he bore our sins in his body on a tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And then don't miss this part. It says, by his wounds we are healed. I don't know of more great news than that. 
That leads us this morning to worship him. Let me ask you, do you remember where you were when the gospel made sense to you? Do you remember where you were? Do you remember what you felt? Do you remember that moment when you just said, I get it. I remember thinking all along, if I could just get on the performance track and if I could do X, Y, and Z, then I would be okay in the end. And I'll never forget sitting on a dorm floor and realizing it's not about me. And I remember that moment when it was just like, it's not about me. It's about him. It's about what he's already accomplished. And you know, you might be here today and you might say, well, yeah, but I'm too far, preacher boy. I'm way too far from God. You don't even know who I am. You don't know what I've done. Know this, the apostle Paul, he he considered himself the worst of all sinners. He was a murderer. He killed Christians. And he said this, I mean, he, he wrote, some of those verses that I just read, and he made it so clear in his writings that God paid it all for people like him, for people like me, for people like you. There is no one that is too far from the grace of God. Please hear that today. No one. If you're here today and you would say, I carry the weight of guilt, I carry the weight of shame, please know that that can be lifted from you today. You can have freedom from that. John Piper put it like this. He said, if you carry your sin and your guilt today, you despise the cross. We also see here in the meat of this text a very clear definition of sin. Look with me at verse 6. He writes, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us, here's the definition of sin, each of us has turned to our own way. You might underline that. Our two-year-old son, Easton, is modeling this verse very well these days. And he's got two words that he says over and over. He says, me do. And what that means is, I want to do it my way. Me do. Me do. And so you get him out of the car seat in the car, and he says, me do, me do. He wants to unbuckle. He wants to do everything himself. He said those two words at least 90,000 times yesterday. I I counted them, right? (laughs) But what he's saying is this, I don't want your help. You might be older. You might think you're smarter. You might have more experience, but I'm two. And I can do this myself. Me do. The other day he was taking something from the, the table and I was sitting at the table and, and he walked away and I said, Easton, buddy, I said, you can't take that. That needs to stay on the table. We need to bring that back. And he kept walking and, and then he turned around and he, he shrugged his shoulders like he does. And then he looked at me and he shook his head and he goes, no, daddy. You know, and, and basically what he was saying is, hey, dad, take a flying leap, you know. <laughs> I, I'm going to do this my way, right? Now, if you're a grandparent, you thought that was very funny if... If you're a parent, you're feeling my pain a little bit, right? (laughs) The book of Proverbs, chapters 14 and 16, put it like this. It says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. What is sin? Sin is saying this. It's saying, I can do it my way. We all like to do that. These three verses make up the main point section of this text. The punishment that was upon him brings us peace. Now look with me at verse 1. We're going to see how this rejection, how this sin gets played out. Verse 1, 53. It says, who has believed our message and to whom has the Lord been revealed? Verse 2, for he grew up before us like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, 
and nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Do you see this picture of Jesus? We would not have been attracted to his looks. Jesus would not have won a popularity contest in our midst. Verse three, he was despised and rejected by mankind. I mean, even think of, think of Peter. Peter was so close to Jesus, but when push came to shove, Peter wanted to protect himself. And when he was pushed on the issue, Peter said, I don't know the man to protect himself. And here's the thing. We would have done the same thing. We would have been the types, I would have been the type that I would have been in the crowd and I would have yelled, crucify him, crucify him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. And we held him in low esteem. He didn't have wealth, he didn't have prominence, you would not have found him the, an attractive young leader that you would have said, yeah, let's rally behind that guy. Let's follow him. Look at this picture, verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as the sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, Yet who of his generation protested? Meaning people did not object. People didn't say, no, no, stop the events of the cross. The majority says stop. It wasn't the case. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. Yet Jesus was completely innocent. John chapter 18, Pontius Pilate said, I find no basis to make a charge against this man. Luke chapter four, a demon referred to Jesus as the Holy One of God. Judas said, I have sinned, and then he said, I have betrayed innocent blood. Verse nine, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Jesus was crucified just like any other criminal. And when they mocked him, he remained silent. Caiaphas, the high priest, said, aren't you going to defend yourself? Yet Jesus didn't open his lips. Pilate said, aren't you going to answer these accusations that are being brought against you? Yet Mark 15 says, Jesus made no reply. Luke chapter 22, the Romans, they're beating him, they're mocking him, they blindfold him, they continue to beat him, and they say, prophesy, Messiah, and then they say, who hit you? Come on, I mean, if you're the king, if you're the son of the God, who hit you? Yet he didn't speak, he remained silent, and know this, Jesus did not dodge the path to the cross. That is an amazing reality. Matthew chapter 27, they shouted at him when he was on the cross. They said, hey, if you're the son of God, come on down from the cross. I mean, if you're the son of God, it's not that big a deal. Come on, son of God, come down from the cross. And yet Jesus said things like this to them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus would live and he would suffer very unimpressively. But I love the beginning of this section of scripture. Isaiah 52 says that he suffered 
And though he did, Jesus was exalted. His suffering was not the end. He was exalted, and it says that his blood would be sprinkled over the nations, meaning this, that Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, as brutal as it was, as unimpressive as his ministry and as his life would be summed up, it says that he would bring salvation to the nations. Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus, while being in the very nature God, He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He took on the very form of a man. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross, it says. But that's not it. And then it says, what did God do? God exalted him to the highest place that every tongue should confess what Jesus is Lord. Look with me at these last verses. Verse 10 of 53 says, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. That's an amazing verse. It was the Lord's will to crush him, to cause Jesus to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. You know why he's satisfied? Because of you. It's huge. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Know this, it was the Lord's will to crush Jesus Christ. When Adam sinned, clear back in Genesis chapter 2, it wasn't as though God the Father said, "Uh uh-oh, well, what am I going to do now? Well, now I've got to come up with another plan because this isn't rolling out the way I thought it would. Not the case at all. The plan was Jesus Christ. Revelations chapter 13, verse 8, referring to Jesus says that the lamb, Jesus, that was slain, here it is, from the creation of the world. One commentator said he looked through history And he saw you. And then Isaiah 53 ends by saying this, For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Meaning he stepped in. Jesus was the type that he took our place. He interceded for us so that we could have peace with God. I want you just just to say something. Not out loud. Just say it to yourself here just for a second. Just say, Jesus stepped in for me. Might be the first time that's really kind of landed with you. Say, Jesus stepped in for me. Jesus stepped in for me. Let me ask you, let me ask you a question this morning. Would you say, when you think about your life, would you say that you have peace with God? When Jesus rolled into Jerusalem that day, it says that he wept over the city, and, and the reason why he wept over the city was because he looked at them and, and he said, wow, if only you would know what would bring you peace. And you can just imagine that if Jesus were here today and his spirit is alive and well, that he looks at some of us and he goes, wow, oh, I just hope that you would know what would bring you peace. I hope that you would know what would make your life different. I hope that you would accept me and you would find peace and forgiveness and peace with God. Now, I want to close today with just, I think, just three maybe three different responses that you could have to a text like this. And the first one I think is pretty obvious. It's, it's a step of faith. 
Um, Maybe some of you, you really resonated with that Ethiopian eunuch who, even when we stood up and we read through Isaiah 53, you thought, wow, that doesn't make much sense. But as we got into it, and as we particularly got into the meat of that passage, you go, okay, wow, I get the gospel now. Okay, I, I, I can understand this. These verses made sense to me. I can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. I have strayed. I have done my own thing. That is sin. No, I don't think we have anybody that would say they're not doing that. I have sin in my life, but Jesus, the iniquity, my sin was put on him so that I could have peace with God. I would just encourage you this morning, would you cry out to God in faith and just say, okay, I understand the truth of the cross, and I put my faith in Christ. This is the greatest decision you would ever make. You can have peace with God. The second thing I, I think maybe we respond to a text like this is, is just with the posture of humility. I was talking to Christine about this, these, te- these verses, and, and I said, wow, this is such a sobering reminder. I mean, to think that from the foundations of the world, God knew that the wrath of God would be taken out on Jesus Christ so that I might know him. That's sobering, isn't it? It's humbling. He was, it says he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was not near him. It was upon him. And then I think the last response is that you and I, we just worship today, you know? I think we just say, thank you, Jesus. I think we go into Easter and we just say, we're prepped. We say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I worship you today for what you've done on my behalf. Let's begin to do that even right now. Would you, would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for Isaiah 53. And um, Lord, it's really, it's pretty amazing that you would give us a picture that is so clear. And Lord, it builds our faith to know this was a prophetic message that would come through 700 years later. Lord, I pray for the person who's here today and they would say, Lord, would you energize my faith? God, I pray that this picture of you would do that very thing. Lord, I pray for the person that's here today and they would say, wow, I I came here and I I have questions about Christ. I pray, Lord, if the gospel has made sense today, I pray that they would take a step towards you. I pray that in faith, they would accept you for the forgiveness of their sins, Lord. And they would not face eternal damnation, but they would face peace with God. Lord, we love you. Lord, we need you. And Lord, for all of us, I pray now that our hearts would just worship you well. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, before we...